mentioned uh, Pastor Boogie Rose of Branches uh, during our opening uh, time together. Pastor uh, Boogie is, uh, he's, a, he's, a good, he's a good man. He's a good pastor. Uh, he really loves people. In fact, uh, I, I found it so uh, fascinating how God worked this morning with the song selection because uh, the opening song had the phrase, one thing remains. Your love never fails, never gives up, never uh, gives out on me. The, the words one thing is how Boogie uh, signs all of his emails. He always signs it one thing, Boogie. And then we cl- close the opening worship set uh, with the talk of the breath in our lungs, the breath in our lungs. And, and that's precisely what uh, Pastor Boogie's in a fight for his life about, the breath in his lungs with the rare lung disease that uh, he battles today. Uh, still somewhat unknown to the doctors, by the way. They're still not entirely sure what has happened to him, what has happened to his lungs. He sits in a ventilator today uh, at uh, UCLA uh, Medical Center, a few minutes from a, another procedure, and, and awaiting a lung transplant. And as I, as I thought uh, more about that and read some of the um, words of his wife, uh, they're, they're keeping folks updated on a website. If you'd like to see that website, just go to the church Facebook page, uh, uh, facebook.com slash Church. And you'll see a link there to the page that updates, gives updates for Pastor Boogie. And if you read the latest update from his, uh, from his wife, uh, she basically says we, we need a miracle or we need a lung transplant. Effectively, what she's saying in that latter part is, you know, we need a miracle or we need someone to die so that my husband can live. Someone has to to die and to donate their lungs so that Pastor Boogie Rose can live, so that life can rise up again in his lungs. As we begin a new year, um, that's precisely um, what I'd like to talk about from the book of Isaiah chapter 43. I want to talk about new life. Particularly, the title of this message is A New Sprout. A New Sprout. A sprout which uh, often has to come in the midst of uh, great hardship and difficulty. You you see the the image here of, of a sprout rising up out of what appears to be pavement or concrete. And that's how new life usually rises up at least from a spiritual standpoint. God does miraculous works, but he usually does them from a condition of very, very dire circumstances. Pastor Boogie needs someone to die in order for new life to rise up in his lungs. So also for us, as a church family, we need to remember and to be taken through the hard parts of life to see what it is that God is doing new again. What new thing is he sprouting? Stand with me as we read from the book of Isaiah, chapter 43. We'll begin in verse 1. 
going through 21 and going through it together after that. Isaiah 43, verses 1 through 21. But now thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I've called you by your name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flames scorch you. For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I gave Egypt for your ransom. I gave Ethiopia and Seba for in your place. Since you were precious in my sight, you've been honored. I've loved you. Therefore, I will give men for you. I'll give people for your life. Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your descendants from the east and gather you from the west. I'll say to the north, give them up. And to the south, don't keep them back. Bring my sons from afar, my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I have created for my glory, I have formed him. Yes, I've made him. Verse 8, bring out the blind people who have eyes. And bring out the deaf ones who have ears. Let all the nations, all those blind and deaf ones, be gathered together and let them be assembled. Who among them can declare this? Who among them can show us former things? Let them bring out their witnesses that they may be justified. Or or let them hear and say, it is truth. You are my witnesses, says the Lord. And my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me, there was no other God formed, nor shall there be after me. I, even I, am the Lord. And beside me, there is no Savior. I've declared and saved. I have proclaimed. And there was no foreign God among you. Therefore, you are my witnesses, says the Lord, that I am God. Indeed, before the day was, I am he. And there is no one who can deliver out of my hand. I work, and who will reverse it? 14. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. For your sake, I will send to Babylon and bring them all down as fugitives. The Chaldeans who rejoice in their ships. I'm the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. Thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea and a path through the mighty waters, who brings forth the chariot and the horse, the army and the power. They shall lie down together. They shall not rise. They're extinguished. They are quenched like a wick. Do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. The beasts of the field will honor me, the jackals and the ostriches, because I gave waters in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to give drink to my people, my chosen. This people I have formed for myself. They shall declare my praise. You may be seated. Last week we looked at relinquishing all fear, relinquishing all fear, letting all fear go as we come into the new year. Those same themes begin to appear here, not from Psalm 91 that we looked at last week, but this time from Isaiah 43. And I wanted to pick up that theme in just a moment here, but first, Isaiah, just briefly, 
Where, what is the book of Isaiah? Where, where are we at in uh, history? Well, a real quick summary. Isaiah was uh, written and, and Isaiah prophesied around the time of the early 700s BC. He was at the time witnessing the northern kingdom being taken, Israel being taken into Syria in 722 AD, uh, BC. He was also prophesying, Isaiah was, of what he saw was, was to come of the southern kingdom of Judah. So Israel to the north, he was watching them get exiled to Assyria. Judah to the south, he was predicting their coming demise at the hands of Babylon. The book of Isaiah was written specifically to the Jews. And we must keep that in mind. That the promises that we read herein are promises directed to the Jewish people as God's people. But that doesn't mean that we shouldn't read and learn from the book of Isaiah. Though we are not Israel, we the church have been grafted in to God's salvation program. And as such, we should remember and look for reasonable ways to appropriate the promises made to the Jews. And to be reminded that just as God loves Israel and has called them to be his special people, so too he loves us and has called us to be his sons and daughters through faith in Jesus Christ. And so we'll make appropriate, um, uh, uh, we'll make, uh, appropriate um, uh, inferences for us today from the promises that we read to Israel in this book of Isaiah. With that, we come to verse 1, 40, Isaiah 43, verse 1. But now, thus says the Lord, who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I've called you by your name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flames scorch you. Fear not, again, picking up our theme from last week from Psalm 91, a most beautiful psalm. Go back and read it on your own if you missed it last week. Meditate on it in the coming year. What a wonderful psalm. Fear not, we pick it up again. Though you experience hardship and trial, no harm will come to you. He mentions a number of things here. He mentions the waters. Uh, He mentions the rivers. He mentions uh, burning. Well, that goes back to the history of Israel. You think about the waters of Israel crossing through the Red Sea in the book of Exodus. You see the rivers there. We think of crossing over the Jordan River into the promised land in the early parts of Joshua. You see the fire there. We might think of the time in which uh, three faithful Jews, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, went into the fiery furnace of Nebuchadnezzar. All these moments, whether it was the Red Sea in Egypt, or the Jordan River, or the fires of Babylon, all of these moments in Israel's history were meant to crush them, to destroy them. The waters, the rivers, the fire... And yet through all of that hardship, trial and persecution, God took Israel through it. And as they looked back on it, he said, fear not. Fear not. Look at all I've taken you through. Look how I have protected you. And kept you from, from harm. 
And that harkens back to his love for this people, Israel, and for us by extension. He mentions a number of things about Israel and by extension us. He says, I created you. I formed you. I redeemed you. I called you. The first two words, by the way, created and formed, uh, harken back to the early parts of Genesis. Same Hebrew words used in Genesis to describe God's act of creation and forming mankind. He created us. He formed us. He redeemed us. He's called us. Verse 3, For I am the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I gave Egypt for your ransom. Ethiopia and Seba in your place. Since you were precious in my sight, you have been honored and I have loved you. Therefore, I will give men for you and people for your life. Notice the word uh, ransom there at the top. I gave Egypt for your ransom, Ethiopia and Seba or Seba, in your place. What is this uh, referring to here? We're, we're trying to make sense of, of where we're at again in history. Well, Isaiah, th- this has not happened, by the way, by the time that Isaiah is writing. None of this ha- has happened. There, there's been no giving over of Egypt, if you will, up until the point of Isaiah. Sure, Egypt has experienced a variety of, of different hardships, and, and they experienced a, a setback as the Jews uh, left uh, from their land. But there's, there was no definitive moment where Egypt was just overrun and ransacked, if you will. But as Isaiah is looking forward into the future, hearing from the Lord and prophesying about what is to come for the Jewish people, he sees in the future what is to happen to Egypt and to Ethiopia and to Seba. He sees that these nations will be given as payment, as ransom for the release of the southern kingdom of Israel who were in exile in Babylon. Isaiah, prophesying in the early 700s BC, looks forward, looks forward a century later and sees a time in which Cyrus of Persia would rise up. And while the Jews had been in exile for 70 years in Babylon, while they had been taken and uprooted from their land and pushed out, Far away, Nebuchadnezzar had taken them far away to Babylon. For 70 years, another leader would rise up, Cyrus, who would be impressed to give up the Jews after having read the Isaiah scroll, by the way, after having read the very prophecy that you and I read today. He, had, he read it in 539 BC, and he was so impressed by the mentioning of the release of the Jews that he, in wanting to fulfill that prophecy, let them go back. But as he let them go back, God did something for Cyrus. Cyrus and Cambyses, his son, would later go to Egypt, Ethiopia, and Seba. He would go into northeastern Africa, places historically that had persecuted the Jews, and Cyrus of Persia would be given those lands as a ransom payment for releasing Israel back to Jerusalem. History bears this out. After having let the Jews go back to their land, Cyrus and his son Cambyses 
entered through Egypt, Ethiopia, and Seba, conquering those lands and expanding the Persian Empire for a time. Through Isaiah the prophet, God is telling his people Israel, I pay money for you. I will ransom you. I will give up great nations and peoples. I will give up things that are very, that are filled with wealth, filled with riches, to buy you back, to ransom you. I will make payment for your life. Cyrus was given these lands as a ransom for releasing the Jews back to Jerusalem. God says, you are so valuable to me. I will pay ransoms for you, Israel. Christian, you are so valuable to me that I will send my son to ransom you from death. In the Old Testament, since you were precious in my sight, you've been honored, I've loved you, therefore I will give men for you. I will give nations for you. I will give people for your life. And then we come to the time of Christ in which he says, you know what, I'll go a step further. I won't just give nations for your ransom. I will give my son for your ransom. Jesus was given as payment. He was given up by the Father as payment for the Jews, as payment for you and me, as payment for the sins of the whole world. He himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not ours only, but the sins of the entire world. Jesus was given as a ransom. That's how much God wants to be with you. He longs to be with us. He longs for union with us. We live in a world where unity is hard to achieve. In in this world, in, in Orange County, individuality reigns. Everyone is out doing their own thing, making their own name. We live in close proximity to one another, right? The houses are all very, very close to one another. All the houses and the condos and the apartments that were stacked upon one another, and yet we're really very, very scattered. Isaiah speaks of a time in which the scattering and the disunity and and, and the separateness that all of us feel in this world. Isaiah dreams and, and, and sees a time in which all of that disunity will be replaced by a time of gathering and reunion. Look at verse 5. He says, Fear not, for I am with you. I will bring your descendants from the east and gather you back from the west. I will say to the north, Give them up, and to the south, Do not keep them back. Bring my sons from afar. Bring my daughters from the ends of the earth. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I have created for my glory, I have formed him. Yes, I have made him. Fear not. Though you may feel abandoned and alone, a great reunion, a great reunion 
of God's people is near. Those who have been scattered afar will be brought near. I know uh, a number of your personal family situations. I know there are, uh, even in our own family, but in a number of families in the church, there are, there are scenarios and situations where you know, families have been separated and, and conflicts have risen up and, and, and people have stopped speaking to one another or there's been some, some conflict or, or a situation that, that caused separateness and a, and a disjointing of the family. And everyone feels it. Everyone in the family feels it when that's happened when, when father and daughter or mother and son are, are at odds or where cousins and, and parts of the family are just are separated from one another or in the church when there's been an, an argument or, or, a, or a dispute and, and all of a sudden families separate, we all feel that pain. We know what that's like. The holidays are a time where we especially feel that pain as we're reminded vividly of who's not at the table God says, though you feel abandoned and alone, reunion is coming. Reunion is coming. Those who have been scattered afar, those who have been taken away, either against their will or willfully have gone, there will be a time of great reunion when God's people, all those who have believed on the Lord, and yet who have been scattered afar, there'll be a time when they're brought near again. When there's reunion. Notice the second time he mentions the word, I've created you. In, at the, at the uh, end there. Everyone who's called by my name, who I have created for my glory, I have formed him. And he adds a, thir- a third word now. I've made him. That's the sense of bringing to ultimate completion, by the way, in Hebrew. I've created them. I've formed them. I've made them. I'm bringing about a work leading to perfection, to fullness. Of course, again, he's speaking here of the Jews who have been scattered far and wide, who will be brought back during the last days as has been prophesied in the scriptures. But yet we look at the New Testament, we look at the church and we see similarities. We too have been created, created in Christ Jesus. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed. Behold, all things have become new. We have been formed. We are a people who have been formed, transformed by the power of the Holy Spirit. Being transformed from the same image from glory to glory, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 3. We are a people that is being perfected. And how often that perfection comes through trials. James says, count it all joy whenever you face these trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. And let perseverance have its perfect work, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking nothing. Created for my glory. I formed you. I've made you. I've been bringing about your completion, your fullness. We as the people of God, we submit to these concepts. We submit to the notion that God is the one who has created us, that God and his, and his Holy Spirit is the one who forms us like a potter forms the clay and transforms us and sanctifies us and brings us to that final, that making, that fullness, that perfection. We as Christians, we embrace these concepts deeply, wholeheartedly, knowing that it is 
in and through and because of the Lord that we have life and breath. But the way of the world is much different. The world says, go your own way. The world says, create your own path. The world says, make a name for yourself. And it is to this philosophy that we now turn in verses 8 and 9. Bring out the blind people, God says through Isaiah. Bring out the blind people who have eyes and the deaf ones who have ears. Let all the nations, all the Gentiles, be gathered together and let the people be assembled. Who among them can declare this and show us former things? Let them bring out their witnesses that they may be justified or let them hear and say, It is truth. The world contends that they have a better way of living. But God through Isaiah says, all other religions, all other worldly philosophies, they are blind and deaf. Incapable. Incapable of pointing back to former things. Incapable of pointing back to a track record that suggests their way is better. God challenges the world at the end of verse 9. He says, bring out your witnesses. Bring out the best and the brightest. Bring out the rich, the celebrity. Bring out the powerful ones. Let them justify themselves. Let them bear witness of why their way is better. God challenges the world. To this great test. If you know of a better way of living, by all means, prove it to us. But of course the world fails this test. Rich men are never satisfied with their wealth. Powerful ones end their life frail and weak. Celebrities who are adored by millions ultimately end up feeling alone. And often suicidal. Gather together, O nations. The Lord says, All you blind and deaf ones, show me the track record of your success. Bring out your best witnesses. Justify your way of living. What's that? Speak up. Oh, you have no track record. You have no witnesses that might justify your way of living. Then listen to me, God says. Open your eyes and your ears and listen to me. And as you hear me, as you hear my way, may you say, it is truth. The end of verse 9. Or let them hear. Let them hear God's way. And let them confess. That is truth. The world lures us to lust, riches, and power. 
And yet the world cannot call one witness to testify to the veracity of that way. By contrast, God has an innumerable company of witnesses whom he can call and who can attest to his goodness and to his faithfulness. God's people, his people Israel, are his witnesses. And by extension, we too are his witnesses, the body of Christ. Take a look at verse 10. You are my witnesses, says the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me there was no God formed, nor shall there be after me. I, even I, am the Lord, and besides me there is no Savior. I have declared and saved, I have proclaimed, and there was no foreign God among you. Therefore, you are my witnesses, says the Lord, that I am God. Indeed, before the day was, I am he, and there is no one who can deliver out of my hand. I work, and who will reverse it? God says twice in verses 10 to 13, you are my witnesses, you are my witnesses. He's speaking directly to Israel, of course. But by extension, as the body of Christ, as those who've been grafted in, he's pointing at us too. He's saying, you are my witnesses. You know the veracity of my way. Israel was God's witness. The Jewish people knew what, who God was, and they knew what he had done. Their ancestors had walked through the Red Sea. Their descendants... Those, excuse me, those who had come before them, their ancestors through the Red Sea, their ancestors through the Jordan River, their ancestors through the fiery furnace. We too are God's witnesses. We know who He is. We know what He's done. We've seen it in our own individual lives and in our families' lives. We've seen healing and recovery from illness and addiction. We've seen it for us personally. We've seen it for our children. We've seen marriages saved. Marriages that were broken and about to fall apart. And yet God intervened. And through the people of the church, there were those who rallied alongside these families to save them and to build them back up. We've seen lives brought back from the brink of suicide. I wish I could share some of these stories, many of which are very private to some. We've seen what God can do. We've seen it in our church. This coming year, 2016, will mark 49 years at Coast Bible Church. We've seen what God can do through the life of our people. God raised up two people back in the 1970s in this church who got up from Coast Bible Church, who moved up to the mountains, and who now are leading the largest Christian camp of foster kids in all the counties surrounding Orange County, Robin and Karen Wood at Camp Allendale. They just bought, by the way, it's in your bulletin, they just bought a brand new property, and uh, we're rejoicing with them. The brand new property... Um, it's actually a used property, but it's a new facility. It's going to be called Camp Allendale by the River. They'll be using their previous facility for administrative offices in their new facility, which will double the size of the foster kids that can go to that camp. Amen? We've seen what God can do through the work in Haiti 
and through the leadership that the Gibsons have provided and Pastor Doug and Monica and others who have gone before us. We've seen what God has done through our church, through those who have impacted us dearly, many of whom this past year went on to glory. Mary Ann, Fred Koblenz, Al Eaton, Carolyn Rutherford, and others. We are God's witnesses. We know who God is. We know what he's done. Israel is God's witness. They know what God has done for them. And now God says, now he says, I will do it again. I will do it again. Verse 14. Again, this is a prophecy looking forward. Isaiah's looking forward. We're looking back. Isaiah's looking forward in verse 14 and he's seeing what's going to happen. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, for your sake I will send to Babylon and I will bring them all down as fugitives. The Chaldeans, those who rejoiced in their ships, I am the Lord, your Holy One, the Creator of Israel, your King. Thus says the Lord, who makes a way in the sea and a path through the mighty waters, who brings forth the chariot and the horse, the army and the power. They shall lie down together. They shall not rise. They are extinguished. They are quenched like a wick. God says, I will do it again. You've been my witnesses. You've seen me do it. I will do it again, he says through Isaiah to the people of Israel. I will go to Babylon. I will go to the Chaldeans, the people with Nebuchadnezzar who has taken you and enslaved you for 70 years far away from your homeland. I will send to them. I will send to them a message. I will send to them a conqueror. I will send upon them my judgment. Those of you who rejoiced in your ships, those of you who rejoiced in in the expanse of your military prowess, you will be the ones fleeing on those same ships, the Lord says. I will make a way in the sea. I'll make a path through mighty waters. Waters, again, symbolizing great trials and and chaos and judgment. Who brings forth, God does, the chariot and the horse, the army and the power. All of this shall lie down together and it shall not rise again. They're extinguished, Babylon is. They're quenched like a wick. Your days are numbered, Babylon. I will go and I will do a work that will bring out my people and take them back to their homeland. There'll be a new sprout happening again. The word redeemer, real quick, uh, on in the, in the previous verse. Sorry about that. The word redeemer in verse fourteen. So many times in Scripture, we see this concept in the Old Testament and in the ancient Near East. The redeemer is one who protected the family. The Redeemer is the one who went to the aid of the distressed. The Redeemer is the one who rescued, who defended, and who, if necessary, would buy back the captive. God is our Redeemer. The Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel. 
is the one who buys us back, who goes and brings us out of distress. And now we come to verse 18, which is the inspiration, 18 and 19, the inspiration behind this message. He says, God through Isaiah, do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Shall you not know it? I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Here in verse 18, God counsels Israel uh, not to remember, which seems kind of odd uh, because earlier in the chapter, he said repeatedly, remember what I did for you. Elsewhere in Isaiah, uh, there's repeated admonitions. Remember, remember, remember. Remember all that you've gone through. Remember all that I've taken you through. Remember all the moments in which I rescued you and saved you and ransomed you. But here, in verse 18, God through Isaiah tells the Jews, don't remember. Do not remember the former things, nor consider the things of old. So which is it? Are we to remember the former things or not? Verse 18 was not written to encourage us to forget what God has done. Instead, it is God's way of saying this. Do you see all the things I've done for you? Do you see all the miracles? Do you witness all of the glorious moments that I have taken you through? All the former times of great deliverance, do you see it? Well, you can, you can forget about it now. You can store it away in your memory bank. For as wonderful and as marvelous and as glorious as those former things were, they will pale in comparison to what I am about to do in and through you. Behold, I will do a new thing. Now it shall spring forth like a sprout. Shall you not know it? Do you not perceive it? I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. Behold, I will do a brand new thing. Now it shall spring forth. Even now, he says, it sprouts up, literally in Hebrew. It sprouts up. What will this new thing be for Israel? What was sprouting up? Perhaps it could be said that two new leaves were sprouting. God's new work included both a short-term and a long-term work of God. On the short-term, the new thing that God was about to do is he was going to take them out of Babylon and back to their homeland, back to Jerusalem. That was on the short-term. That was part of the new sprout, if you would. But on the long-term, looking forward, looking deep into the future, God, through Isaiah, was 
giving us a glimpse of looking forward to that final millennial kingdom of Christ, the Messiah. A time in which everything, all the waters, all the rivers, all the fire, all the difficulty that we had been witnesses of would be put aside and that the Messiah would come and set up his perfect kingdom forever. Two leaves, if you would, a short-term and a long-term work of God. Israel alone would be the recipient of the short-term blessing. She would be delivered from Babylon. But we, the church, will join Israel in the blessings of that long-term blessing, the kingdom of Christ. I suppose my question for us today is, if Israel had two leaves on the sprout to look forward to, the return from Babylon and the ultimate kingdom of Messiah. And if we share in that long-term sprout, that new leaf that we know is yet ahead, I suppose my question for us is, what, what is short-term for coast? What is the short-term sprout for you, for your family, for our church? While we wait for the new final kingdom of Christ, what new thing is God sprouting in us today? What is he developing in you? What is emerging? Where do you see a small flower beginning to bud? What is God sprouting in you? In your home? In our church? Isaiah 43.19 is, uh, is a verse that... Um, my wife spoke of this verse in the latter part of 2015 and as she began to say things like honey this is a this is a verse for us and for for our church as we come into the new year right when she was saying that we we must have read the verse in various places about two or three or four different times as a family we would see this verse randomly as my wife uh, had told me late in december how much this verse had meaning for her and now for our family, and now I believe for Coast. Behold, God says, I'll do a new thing. Now it's springing forth. It's shooting up. Do you see it? Do you perceive it? Shall you not know it? I will give waters... Excuse me, I will even make a road in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. What is God up to? Whatever it is, let's find it. As we find it, let's seek it with our whole heart. And as we seek it, it will have rippling effects on those around us. Look at 20 and 21 as we close. The beast of the field will honor me. The jackals and the ostriches. Because I gave waters... I give waters in the wilderness and rivers in the desert to give drink to my, cho- my people, my chosen. This people I formed for myself. They shall declare my praise. As we press in closer to what God desires to sprout in us, people and things around us that were once dry and withering will begin to experience times of refreshment. Waters in the wilderness, rivers in the desert. As we press in closer to what God is forming in us, we will experience rejuvenation for life and we shall well up with thankfulness and praise to God. The people I have formed for myself, they shall declare my praise.
What is God sprouting in you? What is he sprouting in us? Here we are in a new year. Um, We begin a new year. We always look forward to um, a clean slate, if you will. And yet we begin this year looking back in 2015, looking back at a difficult year, a year of hardship and trial, a year of five, six deaths of people that were extremely, extremely near and dear to so many and certainly instrumental in the development of this church. And we come into 2016 and and we see some more hardships before us. We see Dale and Susie, Dale at home, wondering what's ahead for me with the mass in his body and a heart that is struggling. We see Pastor Boogie at branches who needs someone to die that he might live. I don't want um, 2016 to be a replay of 2015. I know God is doing something. I know he's doing something new. I know something is sprouting up, something that will be new and different and a blessing for all of us. And I want us to look for those, those buds, those flowers. I want you to tell me when you see them. I want you to go home with your husband and your wife and your children, and I want you to talk about what is God budding in us. Where are the sprouts going up? Where do we see new life? And to remember that a new sprout, a new sprout, it always comes up through hardness. It often comes up through the concrete, the pavement, the rough side of life. But it comes up. And I want you to look for it. Whether you're in the waters, the rivers, the fire, or whether you've come through them, look for the sprout. You know what's coming long term. What's coming now? What is God doing in us, in you? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we commit this new year to you. We know you're at work. We bear witness to that work. Our church, our people, we know who you are. We know what you've done. The world has no witness. The world has no testimony. We do. And yet, Lord, we want to see the new bud of this new year. We want to see where you are at work, sprouting up new life again. You told Israel that you were bringing forth a brand new work. You said to Israel that it would, that it's, the, the, the past buds and sprouts would pale in comparison to what you were about to do, God. We claim that promise now for us as a church. We are not Israel, but by extension, Lord, we are your people. And we claim in this coming year that you have something great for us. You have something beautiful. You're sprouting something new in these marriages, in in and among our children, 
in our homes, in our work, in this church. Let us have eyes to see it, ears to hear it, that we might not be blind or deaf like the world around us. Let us see the sprouts that you wish to accomplish in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.